The nun who sued the District of Columbia over their vaccine mandate, Sister Didi Byrne, joins us with an update. As the Russian invasion of Ukraine continues, Pope Francis announces he will consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The Vatican's apostolic nuncio to Ukraine joins us from Kiev in an exclusive. A mysterious memorandum on the next conclave is circulating in Rome, while Pope Francis pleads for peace in Ukraine. The papal posse, Robert Royal and Father Gerald Murray, are here with analysis. Dr. John Jensen of the U.S. Institute for Peace and New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith will tell me about the prospects for peace in Ukraine. The World Over begins right now. Raymond Arroyo. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. An important show for you tonight. If you'd like to comment, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Raymond Arroyo. Lots to cover this evening. Let's get started. Last week, we were the first to report on the story of Sister Dee Dee Byrne, a retired Army surgeon and a sister of the little workers of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary in Washington, D.C. She had just filed a lawsuit against the District of Columbia for denying her a religious exemption from the COVID vaccine mandate there. She returns tonight to update us on her case. Sister Didi, the D.C. government temporarily suspended your license to practice medicine. You filed a suit against them. This week, the D.C. Health Department sent you a letter granting you an exemption. What did it say, and did they acknowledge the lawsuit? No, they didn't acknowledge the lawsuit. Um, I'm not looking at it now because I've got my phone to my ear, but they basically said that because the hospital numbers have de decreased and the numbers of COVID cases have decreased, they have now had a change of heart and have accepted my religious exemption till uh, March of 2023. But mm -hmm. they really didn't mention anything about, you know, oh, we we embrace your religious exemption or, you know, um, the reason why we're granting you an extension is because we are mm -hmm. one where we appreciate your stance on, on um, the aborted fetal tissue issue. And we will give you that mm -hmm. um, ability to be able to follow your conscience. So they didn't even mention any of that. They didn't mention the suit. They just, it was almost mm -hmm. like they had written a, a letter stating I was good till they accepted my religious exemption and good till 2023 of March. Given this extension, sister, what happens after March of 2023? Would you have to sue them again? I mean, it, it, no, I, it I really we, doesn't address your religious claims at all. It doesn't. It does allow me to. They did say they accepted my religious exemption. Okay. And that, that I can practice medicine. Um, and, but, and in um, next year, I'll have to probably, depending on what's going on in the world, because COVID mm -hmm. is really in our rearview mirror and maybe it won't be any issue and maybe we won't have to do this again, but I guess they kept the, their foot in the door to be able to have a little control over us and having to write another religious, uh, letter mm -hmm. asking for an exemption. I've already heard of a, a friend, one friend who's already had her religious exemption accepted. So my hope and prayer is that this is just 
opening the door for many people, especially in the district, to be able to to practice their religious, their First Amendment rights, and their, to be mm-hmm. able to ra- ra- practice religious freedom. I do want to thank the Thomas More lawyers. They were act- excellent. So I just want to give that final thank you because I didn't do this battle alone. It was the Thomas More lawyers who really worked hard and diligently. Well, Sister Dee, we will see in the days ahead. My suspicion is they wanted to avoid this lawsuit so that the court wouldn't require them to grant religious exemptions to all the physicians who needed them. And this is kind of a neat way to kick the can for another year and, uh, and, and allow you to operate. So thank God for small miracles. Sister Dee, thank you for being here. You can find out more about the work of Sister Dee Byrne at littleworkersofthesacredhearts.org. As Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine drags into its third week, Pope Francis announced that he will perform an historic consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on March 25th. And how are the Ukrainian faithful and clergy coping with this Russian invasion on the ground? For answers, we're joined by Archbishop Visvaldus Kulbakas, the Vatican's apostolic nuncio in Ukraine. Your Excellency, thank you so much for being here. What is the situation now where you are in Kiev? Um, it'll be, of course, long to explain how is the situation. Um, I am at the non-touchable, but of course, we, in, we cannot use our upper floors because it's uh, dangerous, because sometimes mm-hmm. missiles come also onto the residential areas of the city missiles or, or planes which are sometimes inter- intercepted so uh, our life uh, like you you see me now is a very essential one uh, we mm-hmm. sleep uh, in uh, some uh, uh, corridors and, and rooms which have no windows to the exterior mm-hmm. we pray in the same uh, rooms and we celebrate the mass in the same places so it's everything is reduced to the most essential uh, because, yes, mm. it's a very dramatic situation. But I could say that uh, till now we are leave, uh, living uh, in Kiev in a relative comfortable uh, situation because we have other cities like Kharkiv or Mariupol uh, mm-hmm. or other smaller cities which where people, they have no light, they have no heating, and they have intense, mm. intense shelling. So... It is even more dramatic uh, and tragic in, in those places. Mm-hmm. Are you able to get out and, and, and be with the faithful? Uh, what is food like? Are you able to get regular food? How are the people near you faring? Uh, of course, all this time is very intense because uh, a lot of contacts, uh, both with my superiors uh, in the Vatican, uh, also with the bishops, with the priests, a lot of uh, uh, humanitarian issues, both mm-hmm. uh, requests and and offers, a lot of offers. So uh, I feel mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of solidarity. But it, it takes also a lot of time in order to organize everything. So our days are full of contacts. Mm-hmm. It is rather risky to go out from, uh, from the yeah. non um, also, the authorities are asking people to reduce our movements in, in the city to the most essential ones. So it's already mm-hmm. 21 days that I, I don't leave the non Wow. Uh, I, I have some uh, 
our assistants who who go to to take some food because still there are some shops which are open the government has asked mm-hmm. some shops to to remain open so the private mm-hmm. uh, private persons they are able to get some food from the shops of course they they have not uh, the same assortment uh, like before the war and sure. also there is a, there are there is a lot of humanitarian aid coming from other regions of ukraine and from abroad and the, mm. this humanitarian aid is normally distributed by caritas or parish organizations or muslim charitable organization or the international red cross so yes till now kiev uh, residents they we, we have food we have uh, water so it's uh, till now supportable uh, also i spoke uh, with the bishop in kharkiv they have uh, more or less the same situation, still able to get food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in Kharkiv, uh, there is a lot of damage to, to the residential houses. So there, there is a lot mm-hmm. of people staying in the shelters. Mm-hmm. Archbishop Pope Francis has said he will consecrate Ukraine and Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on March 25th. How significant is that in your mind? And how is this news being received by the faithful in Kiev? I know the Latin Rite bishops asked that he uh, perform this consecration. Yes, there, were, uh, the, there was the uh, bishops' conference of Ukraine, which asked for such initiative from the Holy Father. Also, um, the superiors of the religious institutes um, this association um, connects both um, women and men religious institutes of both rights, Roman Catholics and Greek Catholics. So uh, I would say that um, altogether, all the religious institutes, all the religious congregations of mm-hmm. Ukraine, they asked for such uh, an act. Here, mm-hmm. I would underscore one main, main aspect. Uh, according to my understanding, uh, when we live this war, it is a very dramatic war, of course, because when I see uh, small children, uh, sometimes orphans of one month or two months old, staying for three days in cold without uh, um, light um, in, in some shelters. So what mm-hmm. those children have done uh, for living such a dramatic situation. Some of them, they die. Some of them, they, they have to, to remain for several days without heating, without almost nothing. So mm-hmm. uh, here, uh, the answer comes that who invented su- such a war? As Pope Francis, he underscored it uh, already in some, on some occasions, uh, any kind of war is uh, the invention of, of the devil. So when we ask ourselves why God is allowing the evil to provoke such a war, to create such a war, here mm-hmm. the answer comes that perhaps, not perhaps, for sure, God wants to tell us something. The conversion, I would say, is the most important weapon in order to, to face war and to end war. So it's not mm-hmm. only political and militarily uh, think, but 
uh, mostly spiritual. spiritual, I would say. Do you see this consecration yes. as a part of that resistance to uh, the devil inspiring this killing and this war and this uh, occupation? And is the Pope inviting the bishops of the world to join him in this uh, consecration to Our Lady? Yes. Um, when we think about the Immaculate Heart of our, uh, of our Mother, uh, Virgin Mary, uh, we know that she is uh, she has um, full power in interceding for us. So um, this is the, the tradition of the church to ask the Archangel Michael to assist mm -hmm. us, and especially the Virgin Mary, because she is the one able to face the satanic. Uh, deeds, the, the devil's deeds. So uh, that was quite understandable for me when bishops and when the religious, they asked for such an act of consecration. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, in, it would not be enough for the Pope just to consecrate because it's uh, all the world, all the believers and don't be, not believers, I think, uh, should, should do the same, consecrate ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of, mm -hmm. of the Virgin Mary. Uh, yes, I know that uh, Pope Francis, uh, of course, he will invite all the bishops. We, we, we were already informed that uh, he's preparing the invitation to all the bishops of the world. So mm -hmm. I believe that the results will already started appearing in, in this direction. Mm -hmm. Archbishop Pope Francis and uh, the Patriarch of Moscow, Kirill, spoke via video conference on Wednesday. Uh, Patriarch Kirill has been a key supporter of Putin's war against the Ukraine. According to a Vatican communique, Pope Francis rejected the justifications for an invasion as, quote, a holy war, saying that, quote, today, we cannot speak like this. Christian awareness of the importance of peace has developed. We are pastors of the same holy people who believe in God, in the Holy Trinity, in the Holy Mother of God. For this, we must unite in the effort to help peace, to help those who suffer, to seek ways of peace, to stop the fire. Now, given that Kirill and Putin have said that this invasion is meant to unite orthodoxy and bring the Ukrainian churches under Moscow's control, that was the justification offered early on. How do you think those comments by the Pope were received by both the Patriarch and Putin? Well, uh, for me, of course, it's too, too difficult uh, to, to, to judge and, and to, to understand. Uh, what effect, what result uh, the Pope's uh, words will, will have on uh, Vladimir Putin or the, on the Patriarch Kirill. But mm -hmm. I would underscore one thing. Here in Ukraine, mm -hmm. we have the so-called All-Ukrainian Council of Churches and Religious Organizations. Here in Ukraine, um, all this Council of Churches and Religious Organizations feels so united uh, in understanding this, that this war has no motivation of uh, existing, of its existence, uh, and we all are facing just an aggression that um, mm. which was originated by some lies. That's what they are stating. 
this council of churches is stating this mm -hmm. work has been originating originated but by obvious lies the church in ukraine the catholic church the latin rite church in ukraine has suffered horribly uh over the last certainly in the last regime yes uh that was especially the greek catholic community uh, that suffered, of course, also the, the Roman Catholic community in all the Soviet Union had uh, a lot of difficulties. Of course, not only the Roman Catholic community, also the Orthodox Church had, had difficulties, but uh, the Greek Catholic community uh, was completely, um, almost completely eliminated. So I would say that uh, the major suffering uh, concerned uh, the Greek Catholic uh, community. Of course, the Roman Catholic community had, uh, um, so to say, the ordinary uh, difficulties, the, uh, the difficulties which were, were common to all the Soviet Union, also including uh, my birthplace, Lithuania. Mm. Uh, I know that the Pope has sent uh, a number of emissaries to the region, two cardinals uh, who are there helping with refugees, and to show the Holy Father's fraternal closeness to the people of Ukraine. Um, there, there is a request, I know, from the mayor of Kiev uh, for the Holy Father himself to come. Uh, is that even possible during an active war situation? Yesterday. Uh, three prime ministers arrived to Kiev. That was the prime ministers of mm -hmm. Poland, uh, Czech Republic, and mm -hmm. Slovenia. So, logistically mm -hmm. speaking, it is yes, it is possible to to come to Kiev. But mm. when Pope comes, of course, uh, the wish would not be just to come and to talk to have a discussion because that is possible to to do also online. Um, just for to, if uh, the Pope comes, of course, we would like to have uh, a prayer with him, or mm -hmm. of course, a Catholic uh, celebration, but e even more an interconfessional celebration. And for such uh, an event, uh, the present situation is yes, it is too dangerous in Kiev. I know that Pope Francis wants to do all that is possible for him. Mm -hmm. in order to contribute for, for peace. So uh, I know for sure that he's evaluating, he's uh, thinking about all the possibilities. Mm -hmm. What type of aid, Archbishop, do you all need most right now? And how can people help? A lot of medicine is, is needed. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, also food. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it. Also because the... Yeah. Um, civil infrastructure has been damaged damaged very right. hardly so uh, the difficulties that, that we are having today they will continue to increase in the coming uh, weeks and, and months so the help mm -hmm. will uh, will will be needed in huge huge proportions another humanitarian mm -hmm. aspect is is that sometimes um it is hard to to evacuate people and I would uh, like to, to underscore one of the examples that uh, there was one day we were discussing with Cardinal Krajewski the possibilities of evacu evacuating or uh, accelerating the evacuation of one orph orphanage. Cardinal Krajewski, he told to me, look, uh, Visvaldas, 
if you will see that the situation remains uh, as difficult as it is now for some more hours, then I will come. I will take mm. a car and I will try. I will try to get them out, even under bombing, under shelling. If I die, I die, but at least I, I will try. So um, mm. uh, I had this special envoy of the Holy Father, and I felt his presence. He was some 500 or 600 kilometers away from, from Kiev, mm -hmm. but I yeah. was feeling his presence so strongly that it, it gave courage mm. also to me, to myself. Archbishop Kulvakas, I thank you for your, your time. And uh, people can help by going to aid to the church in need. Uh, they're doing amazing work, and I know getting uh, you all the help you need yes. uh, there in Ukraine. Yes. Thank you so much, Archbishop. Thank you, too. God bless all of you. And mark your calendars for a special event that I'm speaking at in April. It's the Cincinnati Men's Conference. It takes place on Saturday, April 2nd in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is really going to be something special. I'll be one of the headline speakers, joined by actor Jim Caviezel, Coach Luke Fickle, and some very special guest stars. This conference is for all men, regardless of faith. It'll be a spiritually uplifting day, and I know you'll have a great time. Bring your friends and your sons. For tickets and more information, visit CincinnatiMensConference.com. An anonymous memorandum on the next conclave has been circulating in Rome, and there's backlash against the removal of a popular bishop in Puerto Rico. Joining me now for analysis of these stories and more is the Papal Posse, editor-in-chief of the Catholic Thing, Robert Royal, from Washington, and canon lawyer and priest of the Archdiocese of New York, Father Gerald Murray, joins us from Manhattan. I want to take your take, rather, on this video call between Pope Francis and Patriarch Kirill. I just discussed it with the Archbishop. Uh, it is the first known communication between the two leaders since this invasion began. In a Vatican statement about the call, it read, the Church, the Pope agreed with the Patriarch must, that, that the Church must not use the language of politics, but the language of Jesus. Those who pay the bill for the war are the people, the Pope said. It is the Russian soldiers, and it is the people who are bombed and die. Father Jerry, how significant was this call, and does it blunt Kirill's theological justification for Putin's invasion? It is significant because uh, the pope is directly challenging uh, the spiritual leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, who is a known ally and has praised uh, Putin and, in fact, has defended and supported this war and, I think, disgracefully uh, put himself into the position of justifying what are war crimes being committed by the Russian army in the Ukraine. So it's significant for that. Uh, the pope brought up the issue that, uh, you know, the church, no war, there's never a just war. And I would certainly say that's true as regards the Russian invasion here. This is unjust. But the Ukrainians fighting back is completely just. So I think we have to remember that. Yeah. Bob, you, you uh, we exchanged some emails when this first dropped. You had some concerns about that formulation. Yeah, I agree with Father that, that this question of holy wars, you know, which invokes the ideas of crusades and whatnot, and actually uh, Kirill has actually spoken about the Russian invasion as a holy war against the decadence right. of the West, as we've talked about before on other shows. But 
Um, in a situation like this, I always like it for world leaders to be very precise in their language. And, you know, we can share the Holy Father's expansive rejection of war, especially at a time when Ukrainians are fighting and dying to defend themselves. And this is women, mm -hmm. children largely, and uh, as well as the, the armies. To say that all wars are unjust, and a, a while ago, a couple weeks ago, he actually mentioned, he said, all wars leave the world worse off than when they started. If that were true, then defensive wars or, or wars to, to carry out uh, instances mm -hmm. of justice, when, when we went into Afghanistan to stop the, the people who carried out 9-11, would that have been impermissible? Um, you really want to be careful at a moment like this. Now, it was, it's great that he confronted Kirill. That had to be said as mm -hmm. a, one Christian leader to another. But we really want to be cautious about this, and we can't say that we've developed to the point that we, we value peace so highly that it makes it look like we're pacifists. We're not. We're people mm -hmm. who believe that it's important to have the, the tool, not, not the first tool in the box, but a tool mm -hmm. to carry out a just war to defend innocence. Okay. This call took place after the weekly general audience, where Pope Francis referenced a possible atomic war, uh, what he called a final catastrophe. At the conclusion, he recited a prayer asking God to have mercy and bring peace to the war in Ukraine. Yet he hasn't condemned Russia by name. Bob, do you think Pope Francis asked Kirill at any point uh, to use his influence with Putin to demand an end to this war? Well, I'd be very surprised if he didn't, uh, in, in one way or another. I think that this this language about uh, all wars are unjust is meant to be, to, to be able to say that without having to confront him openly. I wish we had the actual tape of this encounter, and maybe yeah. someday when we do, we'll find out kind of the, the emotionalism that may have transpired between the two of them. But um, mm -hmm. sure, look, if he wants to avoid using the word Russia, during World War II, uh, the popes were very careful not to appear to take sides because it brought it brought back mm -hmm. uh, kind of repercussions on Catholics and other Christians. If he doesn't want to do that, in a way, it's understandable. But everybody knows that he's sent a couple of archbishops to Ukraine. He's been sending help to Ukraine. Yeah. He's not on the side of Russia. So it's very clear where he stands. Yeah. Uh, Father, Patriarch Kirill said he appreciated the Holy See's moderate tone. Kirill has blamed the West for its liberal values and infringing uh, on a divide between, or rather creating a divide between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, is, is that moderate tone effective, Father? And what lessons can we learn from the way John Paul II dealt with communism? Well, moral clarity, as Bob said, is really uh, what the Pope should be issuing. And he did that the other day when he said, stop the massacre. And, you know, this yeah. has been a, uh, during a week in which the Russians bombed a theater uh, in Mariupol, which was a shelter for women and children. They've also committed other atrocities, shooting at Russian soldiers, shooting at civilians trying to flee, on a, uh, trying to get help. So, um, yeah, the pope has spoken directly. I hope he'll continue to do so. Uh, and it's good that we identify that there is absolutely no justification on a religious or moral basis for what Putin has done. He's invaded a country. He's killing its civilians. He's trying to destroy every city that won't surrender. This is an unjust mm -hmm. way of, of uh, carrying out warfare. The war is unjust in itself. The measures and means he's doing are unjust. So, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. more when the pope speaks out, the Ukrainians are encouraged that they are being supported by uh, the leader of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. 
I, I want to talk about this consecration of Russia. People have been talking about this for years. It springs from a request of a vision of the Virgin Mary made to three children in Fatima in 1917. Our foundress, Mother Mary Angelica, often spoke about this consecration of Russia on her show. Watch. I shall come to ask the consecration of Russia to my immaculate heart and a communion, a reparation on the first Saturday, the first five Saturdays. If we don't do this, Russia will spread her air throughout the world, and she has, causing wars and persecutions of the church, and she has. The good will be martyred, and they have. But my immaculate heart, in the end, will triumph. And that is our hope. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and she will be converted, and a period of peace will be granted. Next week, Pope Francis will consecrate Russia and Ukraine. It'll take place in St. Peter's Basilica during a celebration of penance. Uh, this followed a request by the Latin Rite bishops of Ukraine. Father Jerry, why do you think Pope Francis is doing this? When Sister Lucia affirmed the consecration was completed, I mean, d d does it have to do with John Paul II consecrating Russia and the world, and not specifically Russia back in 84? I don't think that's what the Pope is thinking about, because I think he agrees with the judgment the Holy See's already made, that the consecration Our Lady requested of Fatima has been accomplished. Sister Lucia mm -hmm. said that. Uh, no, a consecration can be renewed, and I think that's what this is a case of, because, again, when Sister Lucia revealed the secret that Our Lady said to her that Russia would spread her errors and there would be great destruction, that's what's happening still. So we ask again. Uh, Almighty God, through the intercession of His Most Holy Mother, to grant us the gift of peace to end this horrendous violence and to, you know, basically ask heaven to step in and help us in a way that we're not able to ourselves. God's grace is so mm. powerful. Yeah. Bob, uh, the Virgin Mary has a deep, long uh, rooted religious and cultural history in Russia. Uh, in fact, Patriarch Kirill recently presented the head of the Russian National Guard, a large icon of the Virgin Mary, you know, ironically. Um, as I asked the Archbishop, how will this consecration be read in Russia, do you think? And is there a Vatican diplomatic role um, between the parties here that you foresee? Well, I'd like to think that there is. Um, I, I don't know how much weight a, a pope carries in Russia. You know, there's there's a, a long anti-papal history uh, in, in Russian mm -hmm. orthodoxy as well. If you read Dostoevsky and some of these other authors, they kind of look as, as, askance at what the popes and the Latin West in general has done. But look, I think mm -hmm. it's a good thing. Uh, it, it, it is kind of neutral. He's, he's praying for both countries. Um, I would point out that after the consecration in 1984 is when the Soviet Union started to fall apart. It finally did in what John Paul II called the Anus Mirabilis, the, the miraculous or, or, or um, um, miracle uh, year of 1989. And then we did have a period of peace, which Our Lady predicted. It's just that we didn't get the whole thing. And what we, what we face now is not communism, that kind of uh, uh, militant atheism, but a kind of a militant... Uh, imperialism. It's not even just Russian nationalism. It's really trying to reconstruct yeah. the Russian um, empire. So maybe there's yet mm -hmm. a, a second stage to this revelation that we've got to confront something deep in the Russian soul as well as that atheistic communism.
Uh, gents, I want to follow up on a story we covered when you were last here, the removal of Bishop uh, Daniel Fernandez Torres from his diocese in Puerto Rico. He was dismissed without due canonical process, we should add, for his defense of religious objection to vaccine mandates. Now, since his dismissal, Puerto Rican Catholics and Protestants have taken to the streets. They've gathered in protest outside the cathedral in San Juan to support Bishop Fernandez. Father Jerry, the bishop's dismissal is certainly irregular, according to canon law. Does he have any recourse to fight his removal? Well, Raymond, uh, I agree this is an unjust removal. And by the way, the Holy See has not given any reasons for this. They simply announced that he had been relieved of the diocese, of being the diocesan bishop there. He wrote, uh, Bishop Daniel Fernandez wrote a memo or, or a letter to the people of Arecibo, and he was told, he told them that the nuncio told him that he was being removed because he wasn't really cooperative with the other bishops, and uh, he'd been disobedient to the Holy Father. But according to what we know, or what Bishop Fernandez said, he also, the nuncio said, you haven't committed any canonical crime. So, you know, I, I think the Holy Father's made a tremendous error here in removing a bishop, treating him essentially as a, you know, branch manager who can be lifted out without cause, because the bishops are the successors of the apostles. And if they don't commit canonical crimes or are otherwise, you know, unable to carry out their function, they should be left in office and supported. And I'll just say this lastly, Raymond. If it's wrong for a bishop to disagree with his fellow bishops, then we've entered into the twilight zone. The church has to be mm -hmm. an area where freedom of speech to promote the good is not only encouraged, but praised. Yeah. Bob, what does this unjust action say to other bishops, uh, considering defending conscience rights regarding COVID or any other issue? I mean, Bishop uh, Fernandez has, has said that he was dismissed because he was, quote, not in sufficient communion with the Puerto Rican bishops on this issue and alleged insubordination of the pope. Well, we've talked about this before, but there's really an incoherence at the heart of this sort of thing, because, um, to quote again, even the Holy Father has talked about unity without uniformity. There, there can be differences of opinion. And what we see here seems to be a relatively minor disagreement over a public policy question having to do with COVID or whatever it, it was, unlike what we see in Germany, for example, where there's outright right. heresy being promoted by numbers of bishops. Um, and this, it just seems to me that in situations like this, because of the, the tremendous amount of mistrust that there is about all institutions, including the church these days, the church has to show great transparency in these circumstances. If this bishop has done something that is so serious that it warrants his removal, then fine, tell us what that is. And then he can, right. he can dispute it or not dispute it, but at least the faithful will know and other bishops will know why that, that, yeah. why that happened. To do this and just make it look like it's an a, a, a arbitrary exercise of power, I, I think damages the, the church's own credibility, its, own, its, its mm. own appearance of being consistent and respectful of all mm -hmm. opinions within the church, both uh, among laity and among bishops. I want to move to Germany. Cardinal Brandmuller uh, says the German synodal way is, quote, on the wrong track. 
It's lost in nothingness, he said. He's responding to a draft text approved at the meeting in February. It voted for supporting same-sex union blessings, changes in the catechism on homosexuality, and the ordination of women. Um, priestly celibacy will be optional in their version of things, and lay involvement in the election of new bishops is called for. Uh, the cardinal published his commentary on a German website and said, it is important to look back at the end of the 19th century when modernism emerged. What do you think he means by that, Father Jerry? Why look there? Well, I, I would hope he's looked there so we could have remedies to fight modernism in the 21st century. But I'm afraid, uh, and, and that's, you know, Cardinal Brandmuller is, of course, in defending the truth, but is that message going to be received by Cardinal Marx and Bishop Batzing? You know, right now, it looks like if the Germans get their way, the Synod on Synodality should be renamed the Synod on Homosexuality, because that is basically all they talk about. They're talking constantly about the church's teaching being wrong, being hurtful, apologizing, and then saying that they're going to bless people living together in homosexual unions. Let's be very clear. The Catholic Church's teaching on this is of divine origin. It comes from the sacred scriptures. It is as clear as a bell, and it cannot be changed. And to give these hopes to people that the Catholics are going to change it, this is a great disservice to the truth. And it's very upsetting that, you know, the bishop in Puerto Rico, who was a traditional type bishop, he preached the doctrine, he lived the faith, he gets removed because other Puerto Rican bishops are unhappy with him. Yet the bishops in Germany can contradict the tradition and doctrine of the faith, and they're left in office. Uh, this is a major mm. source of scandal in the life of the church right now. Uh, picking up what you said, Cardinal Marx in Germany celebrated Mass this past weekend, marking 20 years of what he called queer worship and pastoral service. He said he desires an inclusive church. Um, where is Rome here, Bob? Well, I wish we knew, because I, I think that Rome has put out some signals to the Germans that they're on the wrong path. At least the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has done that. And um, we, we have had Cardinal Pell recently say that the, um, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has to come forward right. and criticize both Cardinal Holerich and Bishop Batzing for preaching heresy, outright heresy that's been, mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely clearly defined, as Father was just saying. And they do it on these utterly preposterous grounds. The Cardinal Holerich actually said that the science and sociology has disproven um, that uh, the church's stance on homosexuality is correct. That he's saying that it's wrong. Well, look, we know how we, we didn't need COVID really to do this, but COVID has made it clear in many people's minds how easy it is to politicize science, even scientific research, what, what gets looked into. And for a cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church who is about to be the head of the upcoming Synod on Synodality to say that science has disproved Catholic do doctrine, it's preposterous. And, and in, in Germany, they, they talk about the, the, uh, the teaching on homosexuality as prejudice and bias. I mean, I don't know, I don't know the situation in Germany. I don't know if the churches are protected um, by the kind of, you know, First Amendment protections that we have here in the United States. But if what they're worried about is that they're going to be accused of hate crimes or something, then I think that they have to step forward and be brave. But it just seems to me that the, the argument is being made on preposterous grounds. And uh, Rome really needs to speak out clearly uh, about why it is that it's being faithful to the gospel and actually going all the way back to Genesis. Moving on, a memorandum on the next conclave is circulating among 
cardinals, under the pseudonym demos, which means people in Greek, um, it lists everything that is perceived to be wrong with the current pontificate. The list is long. We obviously can't verify its authenticity. However, the very fact that it's a rumored document and it's being circulated among cardinals, uh, perhaps even written by a cardinal, is noteworthy. Uh, Father Jerry, then Bob, what does this mean for the next conclave, and what did you take from, from absorbing it? Yeah, I read this on the website of Sandro Magister, who is, you know, well-known Vatican journalist who is very reliable. Mm -hmm. And I would say the publication of this indicates that cardinals or some people trying to influence cardinals are conscious that as the papacy, you know, winds down, meaning, you know, the likelihood of a conclave is, is approaching, uh, we don't know how long, uh, but certainly we have to think about the future. And, uh, you know, an honest and thorough look at the life of the Church today has to say, have the actions of Pope Francis contributed to the mission of the Church flourishing or being damaged? And in certain areas, mm. there's a lot of damage. And, you know, the Latin Mass, mm. Amoris Laetitia, uh, you can go down the list. And then on the level of just management, these arbitrary removal of the bishop in Arecibo, Puerto Rico, is a symbol of, unfortunately, how the pontificate is sort of drifting in the direction of agree with us or we're going to slap you down. That is not Christianity. Mm. Christianity is we listen. One brother to the other listens in order that we can both learn. Mm. Bob, your thoughts on this and the fact that it's coming out now. Yeah, it's clear that, that uh, there are, when you talk to people in Rome, it's, it's clear that they, they, the rumor is that the Pope's health is really pretty bad and he doesn't really have a long time to go. So the fact that this is circulating among the cardinals, uh, I think we can be fairly confident that it is, um, tells us that they're, they're really starting to get serious thinking about things. For me, besides the whole list of things that Father Murray just put together, there's one paragraph where it says the, 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 primary, uh, the primary goal of the next, pape, of next pope should be to restore normality. Now, you know, just to use that word, just, it, it gives you a sense of, of how abnormal so many different things are in the church. And then in that same paragraph, the phrase is used that, that the, the next pope has to be somebody who makes it clear that he's faithful to the apostolic tradition. That, too, I think... Uh, reflects the kinds of ambiguity and uncertainty that, that have come out of this papacy, not only at the practical level, but even at the high doctrinal level um, that, that we see. So uh, this is a pretty radical thing, and I think it's going to make a lot of people think deeply about what the next choice yeah. is going to have to be. Well, and it speaks to the challenges facing the Church today in a very, um, you know, unvarnished way. It, it, it's, it's a tough document, but uh, obviously this is where the thinking is now. Gentlemen, we will leave it there. For commentary by Robert Royal and Father Gerald Murray, you can visit thecatholicthing.org and look for a brand-new book from Father Gerald Murray. We'll talk about it more in the weeks ahead, Calming the Storm, Navigating the Catholic Church and Society. It's available online and at stores on April 7th. Thank you both. Russia's assault on Ukraine is well into its third week. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky addressed the United States Congress, appealing for the U.S. to take the lead in stopping the war being waged by Russian President Putin. What should the U.S. and NATO's role be? Joining me to discuss is Dr. Don Jensen. He's the director for Russia and Europe 
at the U.S. Institute of Peace in Washington, D.C., and then we'll be joined by U.S. Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey a bit later. Don, you lived in Russia. You were there when the Soviet Union fell. This is the third week of this invasion. Uh, there are a series of sanctions against Russia. Putin's been called a war criminal now throughout the United States and Europe. How far do you think Putin's willing to go to conquer Ukraine? And, and what is his goal at this point? Well, I think it's—first uh, of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, he's willing to go quite far. What's at stake in his calculation is his crazy uh, romantic view of Russia, what the Russian state is. Which is an empire. It's his own. They're his own mm -hmm. personal rule. I think, for, frankly, there's a some personal animus toward Ukraine and its leadership as well, and certainly toward the United States. Ukraine has made a democratic choice to join Europe, to join the West. He cannot stand that. That's not compatible with his views, vision of Russia, and he thinks, of course, Ukraine is part of Russia, hence the invasion. Mm. Uh, how long do you think he's going to keep this up? I mean, how long can he? Thousands of his troops have been have been lost in this conflict, according to reports. Yeah, according to reports, uh, seven to fourteen thousand. The Ukrainians uh, claim fourteen. Certainly, the the wounded are about three times as much. Putin thought he he miscalculated since he doesn't think the Ukraine mm -hmm. is a real country. He thought they would bring flowers when the tanks rolled in three weeks ago, and they didn't. They fought. And in response, Putin has amped up the violence, committed, frankly, war crimes, as you've seen tragically this week. And I think he's yeah. willing to keep this up quite a while, as long as the, the coffers hold out in Moscow. Uh, I think he would be tempted to use even more destructive means, chemical weapons and perhaps even wow. nuclear weapons. That's what makes, Raymond, that's what makes this crisis so dangerous. Mm. On Wednesday, Ukrainian President Zelensky addressed Congress. Uh, he said this directly to President Biden. Listen. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. And this is my main mission as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians. And as the leader of my nation, I am addressing the President Biden, you are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Don, first of all, what do you make of those comments, uh, really challenging the president to be uh, the leader of the world, which he isn't? He's the leader of the United States. Um, your take on that and this notion of he should be a leader for peace, uh, isn't that what Biden's attempting to do with his restraint here? Well, the Ukrainian people admire the United States a great deal. And the United States still, for all our problems, embodies for— uh, many Ukrainians and many East Europeans, the ideals that we all grew up with here in the United States. So he's essentially calling out the president, the U.S. government, to do more. We've done quite a lot. We've drawn some red lines, as you well know, sir, but we have done more. And, and Biden is, is walking a fine line. He doesn't want to provoke a war with Russia. At the same time, right. he wants to, to uh, support these uh, brave people in their attempts, their, their their desires to enter uh, Europe, to enter the Western community of democracies. 
So the Ukrainians are in a tough time. They're holding up well, but I think what you saw in, in President Zelensky's speech and his remarks was he, they want more. They realize, I think, that NATO membership is not on the cards, but certainly they want the kind of military assistance that the president promised yesterday and is already on its way to Ukraine and, frankly, has helped them considerably so far, at least, in holding off the Russian invaders. Don, there are ongoing talks between the Ukrainians and the Russians. Uh, as you mentioned a moment ago, uh, Zelensky ruled out NATO membership, which was part of the condition here that uh, the Russians would like to see. But uh, Zelensky is demanding that uh, Ukraine remain an, you know, a, a territory intact. He doesn't want to cede any of those independent uh, areas or regions to Russia, which is the demand that Putin's making upon him. Is this foolhardy to not um, embrace this for the sake of peace and for the sake of his people and the rest of the country? Well, I think it's not foolhardy at all. Frankly, uh, the Ukrainians can keep their independence by not losing. Russia has to win, and Russia spent an enormous amount of people and manpower on this invasion, even in the three weeks that we've seen. The danger is that the West might lose interest. The danger is that mm -hmm. Russia can go to the negotiating table where they are now and then not be serious, because the Russians, frankly, the Kremlin cannot be trusted to a large extent on these mm -hmm. kinds of things. There is an organic right. link between what goes on in negotiations and what goes on in the battlefield. And as long as Russia keeps pushing, there's not going to be any successful mediation or compromise on the on the uh, on the uh, uh, negotiations, I would say that the Russian that there is some indication of progress, some not a lot, which is to say that the Ukrainian side I think will take will withdraw its NATO request, not not officially, but will say we're not going to be in NATO, but we must have security guarantees, and we will be non-aligned, as you've seen this week a lot talk about Austria and Finland, but. To some extent, the press has mis misunderstood this, this desire. They will take neutrality as long as they have an army and as long as they have security guarantees from the U.S., mm -hmm. from NATO, and so forth. So that's c considerably less than Putin wants. Putin does not think Ukraine is a country. He does not think Ukrainians are a separate no. people. He's willing to fight for it. And what we may yeah. end up is uh, with a situation like Syria, where there are enclaves in the country mm. controlled by either side. And that's not going to eliminate the human suffering, and it's not going to be making political settlement any Yeah, and, and, so but, but Don, and I'm going to leave you with this. I, I've only got 30 seconds, but I, I, I really would like your insight on this. Um, it wasn't the time to gripe about this, fight over it. Back in 2014, when Russia first moved into these territories and gave out 700,000 Russian passports to Ukrainian citizens, wasn't that the time for the world to get engaged? Now it seems this is the second invasion of Ukraine. This is the second invasion, and Frank, frankly, sir, the first didn't stop. Yes, that was a time that would have been more appropriate. As you know, the sanctions were relatively weak. The allies right. were in disagreement, and it's only now they can act in unison. So better late than never, but we'll see if it can turn mm -hmm. the tide. Don Jensen, I thank you for your insight. Hope you'll come back. Thanks again. I want to go now to Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey. He's a senior member of the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. Um, I, I want to start with your reaction to Ukrainian President Zelensky's address to Congress on Wednesday. Watch. 
Ladies and gentlemen, members of Congress, please take the lead. I'm asking to make sure that the Russians do not receive a single penny that they use to destroy people in Ukraine. Uh, Congressman, your reaction, and shouldn't we keep in mind that this was not the UK or France, but a very unstable democracy, Ukraine, that was teetering financially and awash in corruption before this invasion. But, Raymond, they were free. And, uh, you know, yeah. I've been there many times in the past, and the Ukrainian people are amazing. They're very God-loving, uh, so many of them, and, and they deserve their basic human rights. And unfortunately, all of that has been shattered uh, by war criminal uh, uh, Vladimir Putin. And, and Zelensky's uh, address was very powerful. Uh, everyone there, I think, just felt it, that this man is a hero. Uh, he's risking his life uh, every single day. And obviously, his countrymen are, and countrywomen are being uh, decimated by Putin's wanton behavior. Uh, so it was really a, a very powerful. And the takeaway, uh, I mean, he wants the MiGs, uh, which Poland very bravely has offered to provide. Uh, why not provide his pilots the ability to defend themselves? We're already giving them uh, uh, Stinger missiles and, and uh, javelins uh, to take out tanks. So we are arming him, not enough. Uh, I argue that if we go back to a year ago, right now, when they were mustering those troops on the border, uh, had, had mm -hmm. President Biden adhered to the requests and gave him the ability to deter an invasion, uh, we might be talking a whole different thing. Uh, but sadly, uh, they didn't do it. Well, during these peace talks, and there have been peace talks yeah. now between Russia and, and uh, Ukraine going back and forth, Zelensky has pushed away the Russian offer to accept Crimea and Donbass as Russian territory. Now, there's no doubt Putin's a killer. Uh, he, he's destroying innocence. He's blasting these cities to rubble. But are we incentivizing Zelensky to resist a peace plan with the billions of dollars in military equipment and the imagining that the U.S. and Europe will come in and repel Russia in the final act? Well, Raymond, my sense is that the only way you deter a bully, which is Putin and a war criminal, uh, is with a capability to resist and deter and, if necessary, which is the case now, stop him. Mm -hmm. and, and that's when the negotiations will bear fruit. So long as it's a one-sided uh, massacre on the part of, of Putin, uh, he has no incentive, none whatsoever, because NATO mm -hmm. and the United States have made it very clear that unless he goes into uh, NATO countries, uh, we won't lift a finger to protect Ukraine. Uh, and Belarus is also involved with, with Lukashenko, uh, so he's now yep. complicit in war crimes as well. Uh, and we need to indict these people. That's what my hearing is all about. Don't wait for six months no. like we did or a year with other war crimes tribunals. We have enough evidence mm -hmm. right now, just like we did when, when um, Hitler went into Poland, to say, who ordered that? Right. Who ordered that killing and maiming uh, and the leveling of whole cities? Well, we know who it is. It's Vladimir Putin. And I know you have a bill to that effect uh, that yes, you've, you've written up. Uh, the president called him a war criminal this week. He appears yeah. one to me, certainly. Why is the U.S., though? And this is my real question. On the one hand, we're sending $2 billion to Ukraine to, uh, you know, to fight this war criminal. On the other hand, the Biden administration yesterday lifted sanctions on Russia in the Iran nuke deal. So Russia is contracted to build 
$10 billion nuclear plants in Tehran. What sense does that make, Congressman Smith? Uh, Raymond, it makes absolutely no sense. The fact that the egregiously flawed Iranian deal is being resurrected by Biden, uh, which almost guarantees that they will get nuclear weapons and they have the means to deliver them, ICBMs, which they've tested, um, is just what world and alternative universe are they living in? And to have Russia brokering uh, this is just, I just can't believe it. Uh, it was very hidden. There was a lack of transparency. Wendy Sherman, the number two at the U.S. Department of State, was involved with the original one with John Curry. She and Blinken are moving on this. I find it appalling in the extreme. I mean, the Iranians, death to Israel, death to America, and we're going to give them billions of dollars to increase their terrorism, coupled with a means to acquiring uh, a nuclear uh, a bomb, and not just one, but many. And so I, I'm, this makes no I, sense. I, it makes no sense whatsoever, Raymond. And and no. you know, where, where are the hearings in Congress uh, being called by my friends on the other side of the aisle, the Democrats, to hold them to account, to get all of this on right. the record? Uh, we don't, you know, it, they're just doing it. And I think that's yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're, again. We're, we're sanctioning Russia on the left hand, and then we're yes. giving them $10 billion on the right. To build. We're, we're, I mean, we're giving them more than we're giving Zelensky. None of oh, this right. makes sense to me, and the American people should know about it. Uh, I have to move on. I'm almost out of time. There sure. is the uh, request from Zelensky. He wants these MiGs. Uh, the Biden yes. administration says if we get involved in that, it's going to amp up the tensions here. American pilots will have to get involved. We'll have to shoot Russian planes out of the sky. This is not a good move. So far, members of Congress seem unanimous that the U.S. should not be part of that no-fly zone in Ukraine. You've said uh, that we should immediately authorize the conveyance of those planes. Why? Those planes to be flown by Ukrainian pilots, uh, they are MiGs and they are adept at flying those MiGs, uh, in order to, I mean, we're already doing it with, with Stinger missiles, uh, which take out aircraft, whether it be helicopters or jets. Uh, this just gives them another ability not just to control, try to control the skies, but also when they ring Kiev with artillery and just bombard it to smithereens, who's going to mm -hmm. take out those artillery pieces? Pl jets have that capability uh, because it is a yeah. slaughter that's going to get worse. And this evens the playing field. And as Zelensky said, he doesn't want our planes in the sense of our pilots flying them. Uh, he wants his pilots to fly them. So it's a Ukrainian no-fly zone not a NATO or American no-fly zone. Um, I want to end on this. How much do you think the Congress's appetite is for spending on this war in Ukraine? Is there a limit? And if, God forbid, Putin uses chemical weapons here, what will the U.S. involvement be, do you think? Well, it's unclear because the commander-in-chief makes that call. And remember, with, with um, Syria, uh, when the bright line was put down by President Obama uh, and chemical weapons were used, there was no response. So putting bright lines mm -hmm. or red lines down, you know, uh, unless you're absolutely committed to uh, acting upon that, uh, is, is folly. And, uh, and, and, you know, this could have been prevented, in my opinion. This whole thing potentially could have been prevented uh, had we given Zelensky, when he asked for it, what he wanted, and in quantities that could have deterred 
Vladimir Putin. And you know, it's not unlike what happened with, and you mentioned um, uh, when uh, Putin went into um, uh, other parts, including Crimea, of, of Ukraine. Right. Uh, I was Back there. Back in 2014. When, when President Portachenko stood up and said, I can't win a war with blankets. And what, he, what did he get from the Obama administration? More blankets. You know, it's like mm. having a police force that walks around with blankets. Doesn't work. Uh, you know, criminals no. will take advantage of that, and Putin has taken advantage of it uh, in this horrific scenario well, that's unfolding. Well, we shall pray for peace. Uh, in the meantime, yes. Congressman Chris Smith, thank you for being there. We'll check in with you in the days ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Raymond. That is all the time we have for now. Be sure to catch us next week. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, happy St. Patrick's Day. Thank you for watching. I'm Raymond Arroyo. Bye now.